Welcome to the Moses Lake Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. This episode is a message brought to our church by a guest speaker. We hope that it is a blessing to you, and we would love to hear how God has used it in your life. Let's grab our Bibles tonight and <clears throat> prepare to hear a message. Excited to have uh, Brother Terry Randolph. He pastored in Arizona for a number of years and has been a family friend for decades. That's what we that's what we settled on the other night. But I've known Brother Randolph my entire life and thankful for him and his ministry and what God's done. And uh, just recently, about um, about a year and a half ago, resigned and, and uh, stepped away from the church. His son-in-law took it and church is still just running and going and seeing people saved. And uh, God's just blessed and grown a church there. And you started that church and uh, started that church in Phoenix area, right? What suburb? Or is it just in Phoenix? Northeast Valley there in Phoenix, and God's done a great work with him and, and used him in so many people's lives, and I know he's been a good friend to my folks over the years, and I know he'll be a good friend to us and a help this evening, and so take your Bible, and uh, let's let the Lord speak to us, and as he comes, uh, let's just have our heads bowed and our eyes closed, and let's pray and give the Lord permission to speak to us. With our heads bowed and our eyes closed, just for a moment, why don't you take a, a second in your own heart and ask God to speak to your heart tonight. Lord, again, thank you for this time. We pray that you'd speak to us. We give you permission to work. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Brother Randolph. July, so we uh, uh, pastored there in Phoenix for right close to 36 years from the time we planted that church, and uh, then uh, stepped aside, and uh, as uh, brother said, my son-in-law and daughter took that church, and uh, we felt the Lord's leading for us to travel and to go in a motor home wherever churches would invite us to come and do conferences or revivals or messages or just try to be a blessing. We're both in very good health, and uh, but we still felt like it was necessary for the, after that many years, to turn the church over when it was going up on a peak. And uh, so we thank the Lord for that. We have been good friends with uh, Denny's pastor, or pastor, his dad and mother, uh, Denny Sr. and Judy. I think Mickey and uh, you guys went to school together in 1970, 71, um, ancient times ago. Anyway, back there in Springfield, and uh, then Denny and I served together there at Pacific Coast Baptist Bible College for a number of years together and Heartland and so forth. So they've been close friends over the years and uh, we thank the Lord that we had an opportunity to spend a few days with them and uh, we always enjoy their company. They keep me laughing continually all the time. So we thank the Lord for it. I wanna have you take your Bible tonight and uh, I'm going to have you take and turn to a passage that a guest speaker probably would not normally preach out of this text, all right? It's going to be an unusual text. Most preachers kind of skirt around this passage because of its content, 
But there's actually a good message, I think, in here. And I felt like the Lord would have us to preach from this text tonight. So uh, if you're able with me, just out of honor and respect to the reading of the Word, I'm going to ask you to stand with me to 1 Corinthians chapter number 7. 1 Corinthians chapter number 7. And I'm going to begin reading in verse number 17. And uh, I've just kind of put a title to this message tonight. And the title would be, Is There Anything Distracting You? Anything Distracting You. Verse number 17, it says, But as God hath distributed to every man, as the Lord hath called everyone, so let him walk, and so ordain I in all churches. Is any man called being circumcised? Let him not become uncircumcised. Is any called in uncircumcision? Let him not be circumcised. Circumcision is nothing, and uncircumcision is nothing, but the keeping of the commandments of God. Let every man abide in the same calling wherein he was called. Art thou called being a servant? Care not for it. But if thou mayest be made free, use it rather. For he that is called in the Lord, being a servant, is the Lord's freeman. Likewise also he that's called, being free, is Christ's servant. Ye are bought with a price, be not ye the servants of men. Brethren, let every man wherein he's called, therein abide, with God. Now concerning virgins, I have no commandment of the Lord, yet I give my judgment as one that hath obtained mercy of the Lord to be faithful. I suppose, therefore, that this is good for the present distress. I say that it's good for a man so to be. Art thou bound unto a wife? Seek not to be loosed. Art thou loosed from a wife? Seek not a wife. But if thou marry, thou hast not sinned, and if a virgin marry, she hath not sinned. Nevertheless, such shall have trouble in the flesh, but I spare you. But this I say, brethren, the time is short. It remaineth that both they that have wives be as though they had none, and they that weep as though they wept not, and they that rejoice as though they rejoice not, and they that buy as though they possess not, and they that use this world as not abusing it, for the fashion of this world pass, passeth away. But I would have you without carefulness. He that is unmarried care for the things that belong to the Lord, how he may please the Lord. But he that is married careth for the things that are of the world, how he may please his wife. There is a difference also between a wife and a virgin. The unmarried woman careth for the things of the Lord, that she may be both holy, uh, holy both in body and in spirit. But she that is married careth for the things of the world, how she may please her husband. And now he wraps up this text in this next verse. He says, and this I speak for your own profit, not that I may cast a snare upon you, but for that which is comely, or the word means appropriate or right. He says that ye may attend upon the Lord without distraction. Let's pray and we'll get right into this message. Father, thank you for the privilege and the opportunity to be here in Moses Lake and in this good church. I'm so thankful for the, uh, you calling uh, Brother Denny here uh, eight years ago, and he's come here and been faithful. I'm thankful for the people that are here tonight and your faithfulness to us in our life. I pray that you'll use this message to help us, Lord, to just retrospect a little bit about our own life and introspect about where we're at and if we're allowing anything in our life to maybe a distraction. And we'll give you the honor and the glory for it all. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. I appreciate you standing. <clears throat> 
we get a chance to go into churches small and large all across the country. The last uh, 16 months now, we have been through the Central Plains and uh, uh, up through um, Oklahoma, Indiana, Chicago, Nebraska, those places. And now we're making our way up towards the Northwest. And every church has a personality. Every church has character and so forth. I don't know your church that well, uh, so forth. I always, uh, it makes it easy when a church uh, re is responsive to the preacher. It makes it a lot easier uh, if you say amen, if the Lord moves you to do that. That way I know you're getting it. If not, then I just have to repeat it and go over it and the message gets really long. So anyway, you don't care. All right. Uh, well, that's good. That's, uh, praise the Lord for that. But uh, I was in a uh, church in Vegas and the pastor said, I just want you to know right off the bat, we don't say amen in this church. And I said, oh, okay. He says, we say you bet. And so I said, well, that'll work. I said, it wouldn't make any difference to me whether you say you bet or if you say amen. So if you're prone to say something, why, if the Lord moves you, that's great. And uh, so any for Let me give you a little bit of background concerning this, but let me say, I want to focus in on this verse number 35 at the latter part and I want you to notice he says here that ye may attend upon the Lord without distraction. That word attend comes from a word that means to wait upon or to serve. It's the idea of a waiter in a restaurant walks up, he's your attendant, he's your waiter, he's your servant, he's there to make sure he serves you. And so the passage here it lends itself to that in the fact that he doesn't want anything to become a distraction for us to where we can't attend to the things of the Lord or serve the Lord or wait upon the things of the Lord as he would have us to do. Uh, when the Apostle Paul uh, on his second missionary journey went uh, out of Antioch uh, to plant churches, he went to the Macedonia and it was during that particular time this particular church was planted and like churches like uh, Thessalonica and Berea and uh, other churches like that in Corinth. And uh, we know when we study through the book of Corinthians, we know that Corinth was, this Corinthian church was two things. Number one, it was the most gifted church. The Bible says they came behind in no gift. So they were a very gifted church, which actually makes them more responsible uh, to serve the Lord than those that may not be quite as gifted. But it was also the most carnal church of all the churches Paul started. And when Paul, after pastoring this church for 18 months, and then finally felt Lord led to go on a third missionary journey, uh, turned the church over to a man by the name of Apollos, and he became the pastor of this church. It was sometime on his third missionary journey that Paul got word that there was a lot of problems and divisions and schisms in the church and the people were not growing and developing as the Lord would have them. We know that when we read 1 Corinthians chapter 3 when he, he said, And I, brethren, couldn't speak unto you as unto spiritual, but as unto carnal, even as unto babes. I've not, I have fed you with milk and not with meat, for hitherto you were not able to bear it, neither yet now are ye able, for you're yet carnal. And he went on down the list of the things that were going on, and they were just carnal Christians. There's not a lot of difference between an unsaved man and a carnal Christian. Uh, they live carnally, they, they can be saved, you can be saved and be living a carnal life and not growing and developing. And I find that even pastoring for 40 years, uh, two different churches that we started, uh, I find that there are people in the church that get saved and sometimes there are people that never really do grow and develop into a mature Christian life and therefore uh, they're more prone to be a hindrance to the church than a help. 
And uh, I've often said that when you get saved and then you get baptized and then you join a good independent Baptist church and you get in there, you ought to get into that church to serve. You ought to go there to be a servant, not to be served, but to be a servant. And uh, the Lord's given each of you a talent and a gift in some fashion or some more than others. And he wants you to use that for his honor and glory to help allow him to build up this church like he wants to build it. And when we don't grow and we don't use our talents and we allow things to distract us, then we become more of a hindrance for God to do what he wants to do in this church. And by the way, let me say that in the world that we live in, we're all prone at times to get distracted from things than attending to the things of the Lord in our life. So Paul, he has to write back this letter in 1 Corinthians and it basically in the first six chapters, he zeroes in on the primary problems of that church. And he's gonna deal with lawsuits amongst Christians and he's gonna correct that problem and he's gonna correct divisions within the church. He's gonna correct problems about spiritual growth. He's gonna correct uh, problems about sexual promiscuity and, and things that were going on in 1 Corinthians 5. But what's different about 1 Corinthians 7 that we didn't read, and I just want you to notice it if you would, is verse number one, because he's gonna switch gears here and look at verse number one. After he's corrected all these things, he says, now concerning the things whereof you wrote unto me. So now Paul is going to address questions or letters maybe possibly that they wrote to Paul about. And I've often thought about it this way. If Paul went into Corinth, which was a very uh, sinful type city, they were worshiping Diana and Aphrodite and there was uh, a lot of legal prostitution going on in their temples and so forth. These were barbarians and heathens when it comes to the things of God. When Paul went into the city of Corinth and he preached the gospel, many were saved. And uh, we, we know that from 1 Corinthians chapter 15 where he talked about when I presented the gospel, it was through that gospel you got saved. And uh, so uh, Paul started that church and planted that church and he wanted to see that church make an impact in a very sinful city for the things of the Lord. Now, every city has got our sinful cities. Phoenix is a sinful city. Moses Lake can be a sinful city. Uh, and people need the Lord here. And so what they, God has allowed you to be saved and you've been baptized, you're a member of this church. So now he wants this church to impact Moses Lake for the cause of Jesus Christ. Amen. He does not want Moses Lake and the world and the carnality of people out there in the world to come in and impact your church. It always has to go the other way. And what was happening is the church at Corinth was not making an impact within their community. They were being impacted by the things in their community and the church became carnal and worldly and they weren't seeing people saved. And Paul has to write back and correct these problems. And, he, and he, then he comes to 1 Corinthians 7 and, uh, and as I thought about this, I thought when he went there, and a person first gets saved. Now think about this. If a woman got saved and her husband was not saved and he was still going up to the temple and being involved in things as it was his uh, tradition, it may be in her mind a question about should I, in order to attend to the things of the Lord now that I'm saved, should I put away my husband and just divorce him because he's just a heathen so that I can serve the Lord and give all my attention to, to the Lord? She may have wanted to know, should I, should I do that? So in the verses that we didn't read, and I'm not really gonna cover there in 1 Corinthians chapter seven, in the verse, first 16 verses or so, or even more, 
he actually dis deals with relationships between husbands and wives, and he's really just answering their questions. And here's what he says to people that wrote him about, should I divorce my heathen husband or my heathen wife? Should I, should I put them away so that I can give attention and serve the Lord? And Paul wrote back and said, no, don't. Don't put them away. Don't divorce them. Because I know where I found you, and I know the condition you were in, and I know the situation that you got, and I wanna use you right in that situation. I don't care if you're married to a divorced man or a divorced wife. I don't care if it means that you're single and you haven't got a husband. It doesn't matter if you're a virgin. It doesn't make any difference. If you're a servant to a master, you're not to seek to get out of your situation so that you think that you can go and serve the Lord with less challenges. I'm just telling you that the Lord knows exactly where he called you, exactly where he found you. He knows about your situation and he wants to use your life right where that's at. And, and, and maybe a single person might think in their mind, well, if I was married to a husband or, or a man and I had a husband, I could do a lot more for the Lord having a husband to support me in it. You may find that getting married as a single person becomes a greater challenge because then you get a, you get a partner now some attention has got to be given to that. And then if you have children, now their attention given to that. And there actually becomes a lot more distractions uh, in being able to attend to the things of the Lord in your life had you just remained single and just served the Lord and give attention to that. And if the time came that the Lord wanted you to be married, he would bring someone into your life. I used to have in our church single kids that, I say kids, everybody's a kid when you reach almost 70 years old. But, <laughs> but single people in our church and, Girls would walk up, and I, I think maybe at that time our church was running maybe 250 or so or around that, and she said, uh, Pastor Randolph, uh, I would like to get married. I'm like 20 years old, and I've looked at all the prospects in the church, and all the guys here are ugly. And so I really can't find any prospects, and there's really not that many guys. So I'm thinking about maybe going to another church that's downtown in Phoenix that has a singles department of about 800 singles. And I think if I went down there, I'd be able to find a prospect because I'm never going to find one here. Now, what do you think about that? And of course, I didn't say it exactly this way, but I was thinking it, that's a dumb idea. And the reason it was a dumb idea is because if you as a single person are going to go and try to find somebody rather than just wait upon the Lord to bring somebody to you, then you're going to find the wrong person. And that can happen and that does happen and they get involved in relationships that suddenly you hear about someone that's been so distracted by a relationship, they're no longer in church attending to the things of the Lord in their life. So I told him, I said, just wait here, serve the Lord, don't even worry about it. I don't care what size church you're in, you could be in a church of two people, and if the Lord's ready to bring a man into your life, I think the Lord knows where to find you, and he can bring somebody in. And he did, and eventually I married her to somebody, and they, actually the truth of the matter is now, he's our associate pastor. <laughs> he just got hired, John hired him. And uh, so they, these people grew up in the church. He didn't even realize that this girl was there. All I'm saying to you is, is that what he does here in 1 Corinthians 7 in the first part of this is he's going to deal with relationships. Let me say this to you. Relationships can be a distraction. And that's even in the case where a husband and wife uh, are here tonight. Maybe there's a husband and wife here. Maybe one is a little bit more spiritual or has grown more than the other. And I understand, being a pastor for a long time, I understand everybody's at a different level of spiritual growth. We have baby Christians, and we have like children in the Lord, and we have uh, mature adults, uh, and so forth. 
but, but sometimes what happens is uh, there'll be a married couple in the church and the, the wife may want to get more involved, but the husband's not growing like he should. So he's becoming a distraction to her, won't let her get involved. Maybe she wants to tithe, but he doesn't want to give money to the church. Or maybe he wants to get involved and she's not spiritual. And I'm just telling you that even two people attending the same church, if you're not growing together and working together for the Lord, that in itself can become a distraction. Let me also say this, if you're seated here and you have a saved spouse and they attend with you, it's a lot easier for you to give attention to the things of the Lord than it is for a single woman sitting here whose husband's not here tonight. She doesn't get the same support and so it's harder, it's, it's much more difficult. Those are people you need to pray for. And, and it could be a single man, maybe the wife's not here. I was just in a church not long ago and uh, the pastor was telling me a little bit about, he said, I have a, a lot of good couples, but I have a couple that the, the husband's always here, but he's got an attitude. He just, he's here because she's here. He won't serve the Lord. And I've, I thought, give me their names. I like to pray for them because that must be a big distraction for her because he just won't be the leader and the man that he needs to be. And so you're actually becoming a distraction in that relationship when you're not growing together. And, and so uh, all I can say is this, I could go into a lot more detail here, but Paul is saying, it doesn't matter whether you're married or not, stay right there. If you're a woman, don't put away your husband. If you have the spirit of God, just live holy. I wanna use the spirit of God in you to maybe lead that husband to the Lord. And if you're a servant, don't seek to be freed from being a servant to your master. I mean, if you can, then take advantage of that. But if not, don't give it a lot of care. You're, you're my servant, be right there serving you. I, I'd like to use you as a servant right where you're at to maybe lead other servants to the Lord. So the Lord finds you right in your situation, uh, whether you're divorced, whether you're married, whether you're single, whether you've never been married, maybe you're a virgin, or whatever, and in our world today, let me tell you, for a young person or a person to be a virgin, I'm telling you there's a lot of pressure on them they, 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 to, to be faithful to that and stay faithful to that. And so he deals with, first of all, saying, uh, I want, I'm not trying to cast a snare upon you. I'm not trying to keep you here on the farm as a servant. I'm not trying to make you stay in a relationship uh, that you can't get out and put you in a box. I'm just simply trying to tell you here is don't let your situation and your circumstances become a distraction from attending to the things of the Lord in your life. And we all have an opportunity or have at times the opportunity to allow things to become a distraction. I would simply say this, a lot of the internet, a lot of cell phones, a lot of those kind of things are becoming a big distraction today in our society uh, with, with people. And it sometimes can be carried right over into the church. And so uh, he deals with relationships first. I'm not gonna deal with that, but I want you to go down to verse number 30, because in verse number 30 and 31, he's actually going to share some things here that also can become a distraction besides just relationships. He says there in verse number 30, He's, uh, verse, well, let me read 29. But this I say, brethren, the time is short. It remaineth that both they that have wives be as though they had none. And they that weep as though they wept not. And they that rejoice though they rejoice not. And they that buy as though they possess not. So the first thing he deals here after he answers their questions about relationships, 
And he tells them he wants to use them right where that is. So abide in the same calling wherein I found you. He says this, he says in verse 30, and they that weep as though they weep not. Now, I'm, I, I, when I think of weeping, I think of someone who's going through sorrow. I think of somebody who's going through disappointment. I think of somebody that's going through a time of maybe depression. I think somebody that uh, maybe have just suffered a loss of a loved one, and there's weeping. And by the way, there's nothing wrong with weeping. But I'm going to tell you this, and it's been my experience over the years, sometimes we can allow times of weeping uh, through those difficult times to become a distraction. I did a lot of funerals in Phoenix over the years at Phoenix Memorial Park. I think half of my church is buried in that cemetery. So I know when the rapture comes, I know that a lot of graves are opening in that cemetery. But anyway, <clears throat> there, I'd go out there about 30 minutes before a funeral. I always tried to get there early to kind of greet the family. And I noticed for about a year and a half, I noticed a man sitting in a long chair, always sitting in front of like a headstone or a, a marker. And uh, so I had a little bit extra time. So I made my way over there and uh, introduced myself. I said, I'm Pastor Randolph. I said, I'm curious. I, every time I come here to do a funeral, which is not often, but every time I have in the last year and a half, I noticed that you're always out here. It was an older gentleman and he, got, he was a little bit emotional. And he said, yes, I, I come out here every day and I sat here in front of my wife's grave and he said, I lost my wife and he got emotional and he could start choking up. And he said, I lost my wife about a year and a half ago and I can't get over it. And he started crying. He said, and so, he said, we're both Christians. My, I know my wife's not in the grave. I know she's in heaven, but I come out here in case the rapture takes place. The Bible says the dead in Christ are gonna rise first. And, and when she comes up out of the ground, I just wanna be caught up with her. And so he said, I'm here every day. And he says, just right here. And I said, well, did you ever have a church home? Yeah, I used to go to church, but after my wife died, I just can't, I just can't get tired of being alone. So I come out here just to be there in case the Lord comes today. And I thought to myself, now there's a case of somebody that's letting weeping become a distraction, a loss. I'm telling you, people can lose things or be disappointed or something tragic can happen in their life that can cause weeping. And if we're not careful, if we focus upon that, some people even blame God and say, it wasn't right for her, God, to take my child from me, or it wasn't right for take my wife from me or whatever. And sometimes we can get to the point where we get so emotional, we can actually blame God. And that we're allowing that circumstance, that time uh, that we go through weeping to distract us from being able to give attention to the things of the Lord in our life. Uh, actually what he needed more than anything else, rather than set in front of a marker, is he really did need to go back to church. He, he had not been in church for a year and a half and uh, really when you lose somebody, that's, where you, that's when you should be in church. You need the support of your church family. You need prayer, you need encouragement, you need the word. You need to be able to get through that time in your life where you're not allowing weeping to become a distraction in your life. So he's basically saying, it's okay to weep, but weep as though you weep not. It's kind of like the idea that it's, there's nothing wrong with going time, through a time of sorrow, but don't let it drag on to the point where now you're not in church. Now you're mad at God, or now you're disappointed that you didn't get this or get that or whatever. And so now it's distracting you from being able to just stay focused and giving your attention to the things of the Lord in your life. And then notice something else here. It's not just weeping, but he says, uh, and they that rejoice as though they rejoice not. 
Now, when I think of rejoicing, I think of happiness. I think of uh, joy. I think of somebody just may have gotten a promotion. That'll cause some rejoicing. If you just got a raise, that'll cause, maybe somebody left you a large inheritance. That would cause some rejoicing. You know, we're prone to get happy when we uh, financially or whatever are in a better position. That doesn't make us happy, but we, we sometimes think they make us happy. So he says here that even times of happiness and rejoicing and success and promotion can become a distraction. Besides just relationships and times of weeping, times of rejoicing. I, I like to play golf. I've played golf for about uh, 58 years now. I play I don't play a lot now that we travel, but I enjoy the game. I watch a lot of golf. And about a year and a half ago, maybe two years ago, PGA golfer by the name of Kevin Chappell uh, was playing on the PGA Tour. He was, started out playing when he was around 20 years of age, and he played in 180 tournaments uh, and never won one time. He's then 37 years of age, and in 2017, late 17, he won on a, on a Sunday. He won, I think, 1.3 million on that Sunday for that week's four rounds of golf. And I remember the, the golf channel came up to him and said, I bet you're rejoicing. And he said, oh yeah, and he was emotional and happy. And, and uh, they said, boy, you know, a $1.3 million purse today, uh, that's gonna help your family. And he said, oh yeah, that's gonna give you extension on the PGA Tour and sponsorships and so forth. And it's gonna put you in a, a different class now that you've won a tour uh, championship than never have won. And he said, yeah, and they said, I uh, you bet you're gonna celebrate tonight. And he said, we are. And they said, let me ask you a question. How's this gonna change your life after you've won now? And I remember watching that little interview after he won and he said, it isn't gonna change my life. He said, I'm not gonna let it uh, become a stumbling stone. I'm gonna use it as a stepping stone to become even a better golfer and I'm just gonna be thankful that I finally got to win after 180 tours, and finally I won. And he said, yes, we're gonna rejoice. Yes, we're gonna celebrate. Yes, I'm happy. And yes, the money's gonna be great. But I'm gonna go back out here next week, and I'm gonna give my attention to what I've always been doing as a PGA golfer and see if I can improve upon that. Now, that's not always true in sports because sometimes the success of sports we all heard of different ones that once they get a lot of money or whatever, sometimes they get on drugs and sometimes there's abuse and so forth. And the next thing you know, they're kicked off the team, they've lost their career. And they allowed whether their time of success and rejoicing and happiness to become a distraction from that which was important. And that can happen in Christians' lives as well. You can go through times of success and rejoicing and it suddenly becomes a distraction. Notice something else, not only a time of weeping as though they wept not, and they that rejoice though they rejoice not, and they that buy as though they possess not. So now he's gonna talk about buying and purchasing and possessing things, and I'm gonna tell you this right now, all of us know that when we can get money or we buy things, uh, the things that we can purchase and buy sometimes can become a distraction. Now don't go out of here and say, Brother Randolph from Phoenix doesn't believe it's uh, and owning a boat. I, I'm not against a boat. I'd like to have a boat, I guess. Uh, or he, he's against having a second home up in the hills. No, if I had the money, I'd probably have a second home too. Or quads or, 
or uh, a motorhome or a camper or whatever, the, whatever you consider to be something that maybe most people wouldn't have, if you bought or purchased that, there wouldn't, it wouldn't be wrong to own it, it wouldn't be wrong to have it. When it would become wrong is that what we buy and we purchase and we possess, uh, when we allow that thing we've purchased to become a distraction from being able to attend to the things of the Lord in our life. I pastored long enough to know when people buy sometimes that they'd come up to me and say, Brother Randolph, I'm not gonna be able to continue to be a teacher in the church because we bought a second cab or a second home, a cabin up in the hill. And in order to justify owning it, we're gonna be going every other weekend now with our family on the weekends up there. We won't always be here. And I thought, you know, there's nice, nice to have a second home, but if you're letting that second home take you away from the things of the Lord, it might be better not to own it. It better be not, it's distracting you from being able to give attention to the things of the Lord in your life. Or, hey, we just bought a couple of quads and the boys want us to go out and, you know, on Sunday, Saturday and Sunday is my only day off. So we want to go out on Sunday and, and we want to race our quads and stuff. And I've had people over the years of my tenure, my ministry, tell me those exact things. We've bought a boat. We're going to go to the lake now from now on. And uh, so he's saying here, it's not just relationships that can cause a distraction. It is not just weeping or times of sorrow that can cause a distraction. It's not even times of rejoicing that can cause a distraction. It can be times when you purchase and buy and possess things and you're allowing that to become a distraction. And he says this in verse number 31, uh, and, which is a conjunction word, and they that use this world is not abusing it, for the fashion of this world passeth away. And again, I just want to say this. There's enough things out in the world that can potentially become a distraction yeah. that are being invented, uh, we can get involved in. You know, the, once the devil knows that you've been saved, he can never claim your soul again. And you're saved forever, by the way. Can't lose it. But let me say this. One of the tricks of the devil is, is that now that I can't do anything to stop him from going to hell, I'm gonna do everything I can to get them distracted from growing and serving and being faithful to church. Now I understand I'm speaking to pretty much a choir here on Wednesday or a Thursday night, so you're maybe, maybe possibly more of the faithful ones that would be here on a Sunday night or whatever. So I understand that. But even people who are here tonight can allow times of weeping, sorrow, purchasing, buying, the world, relationships, and this whole thing that he's writing to them about obviously tells me these were all questions that young people or young Christians there at Corinth must have wrote to him and said, what about this? What about that? And Paul spends this chapter dealing with that and saying, I'm not trying to put you in a snare. I'm just trying to get you to stay focused on the things of the Lord in your life. Now, I'm going to quickly do this. There are three things. I just want you to write them down. I'm just going to mention them. They almost seem out of context in this passage, but there are things that I instilled and incorporated in my life that I think has helped me over the last 49 years. I was saved in the Philippine Islands when I was in the military. And uh, in the last 49 years, I've had the same opportunities in the world to get distracted from things. But long time ago, the Lord gave, gave me this and I implemented these three things or these three thoughts out of this, and I've put them into my own life, and basically when things come along that are potentially a distraction, 
I apply these three things and it keeps me right on course being able to attend to the things of the Lord in our life. And I want you to notice what they are. The first one's found in verse number 23. Ye are bought with a price, be not ye the servants of men. Now, I understand Paul said those almost exact same words, very similar to 1 Corinthians 6 when he said what? Know you not that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit that's in you and you're not of your own. You've been bought with a price, therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are the Lord's. Now listen, I spent 20 years of my life serving myself and other people, trying to please others in the world. When I got saved on September the 15th, 1970 in the Philippines, on that night, my desire was to now, from this point on, until the Lord took me home, was to be his servant. I was gonna stop serving men, I was gonna stop serving myself, I was gonna stop serving the world, and I was gonna be his servant. And I, I felt like that a servant really makes no decisions. A servant just answers to a master. Whatever the master tells us, the servant just is to obey. And really when you get saved, he becomes our master. These are his instructions, and all we have to do to be a good servant of the Lord is obey the master. And that means that every question, every, every decision that we've gotta make in our life, we should go to the master and say, Lord, what would you have me to do? How would you have me to live? What would you have me to do in this situation? And the Lord will show you if you seek it out of his word. Seek and ye shall find. Knock and it shall be opened unto you. And the Bible says if we'll just ask for wisdom, he'll give it to us so we can find his will for our life right here in this book. And as a servant, I just want to do what the master wants me to do. And here's the principle. As long as I always live by that, it doesn't matter if somebody else comes up and says, hey, you want to do this? You want to go here? You want to do that? You want to buy this? You want to, you know, I just say, well, I need to, uh, I'll get back with you. I need to pray about this. I need to see what the Lord's, Lord would want me to do here. And I go to the master because I'm not to make decisions. See, when you start making your own decisions, you're now the servant of yourself again. And when you start serving yourself, you'll find yourself after a while serving the world again. The next thing you know, you're gonna look back and say, you know what, because I was making the decisions, I wasn't following God, I've now become distracted from the things of the Lord in my life. So it's a very simple principle, and it does fit the context because he's basically saying here uh, to this servant in verse number uh, 22, he says, for he that is called in the Lord being a servant, is the Lord's freeman, likewise also he that is called being free is Christ's servant. Ye are bought with a price, you're not to be the servants of men. What he was saying, if I found you as a servant, servant a master, a physical master, don't seek to take off like Onesimus and escape from that, stay on the farm, keep serving the master. I know where I found you, I know exactly where you're at, so you're my servant, regardless of whether you're another man's servant, you're still my servant. He basically he's saying, even though you have to serve a boss or an employer, you're still the servant of the Lord. And so really, ultimately, we answer to him before we do anything else. And so here he says, if you just live by the principle, I'm God's servant. And God requires out of me to be, to be in church and to do the things that God would have me to be. Then I want you to just underline this in verse number 25. He says, in verse 25, the latter part, to be faithful. Now that's a principle that if you'll live by, you're gonna be always where you're supposed to be. You know, you know what's one of the greatest commendations, and I understand in the context there, he's talking about virgins, concerning virgins, I have no command of the Lord, yet I give my judgment as one that hath obtained mercy to be faithful. 
I understand he's wanting the virgin to stay faithful as a virgin, whether it's a male or a female. But the principle that I underlined in my Bible to be faithful applies to everything. Listen, I, I, I'm to be faithful when I pastored my church as a pastor over the sheep that I, God gave me. I was to be faithful to them. I, I married a wife 47 years ago this July. I'm to be faithful to her. I'm to be faithful when God saved me as a Christian 49 years ago. I'm to be faithful to the Lord. If I make a commitment to the Lord to give to missions or whatever, I'm to be faithful. Listen, if you just live by the principle, I'm always to be faithful, you don't ever have to worry about being distracted. I'm God's servant, and I'm to be faithful to the things of the Lord. Let me ask you a question. Are you faithful? I know you're here tonight, but are you faithful to the Lord and all that the Lord has asked you to do as the master? Are you faithful to that? If you're not, something's distracting you from being faithful. You have to figure that out in your own life about what it is and say, you know what, I'm not going to let anything distract me from serving and attending to the things of the Lord in my life. I'm not going to allow the world. I'm not going to allow weeping. I'm not going to allow relationships. I'm not going to allow times of rejoicing. I'm not going to let times of buying and purchasing. I'm not going to let anything in the world get me distracted from giving my attention and service to the master who tells me how to live. And I'm going to be faithful to the Lord. Now listen, it's going to take God's grace to be faithful because every day that you decide you're going to serve the Lord on a daily basis, the devil's going to come along or whatever. The world's going to come along. Your own flesh is going to come along and going to try to get you distracted from being faithful. Here's the last one. You'll find it in verse number 29. But this I say, brethren, and underline this, the time is short. Uh, that almost sounds like it's out of context. It's almost like what he does is he throws in these three principles in the context of saying, don't get distracted by saying, if you'll just go ahead and be God's servant and decide you're going to be faithful and live with the idea that the time is short so that whatever we're going to do to give our attention to the Lord, you better do it now. I don't know. You know, I'll be 70 on my next birthday. I do not know when the Lord's going to take me home. I, so, I said my wife and I are in good health. Good night. I might have a tumor in my body right now. Don't even know about it. A week from now, I might get a call and the doctor says, hey, you got three months to live. All right. It may not be that the Lord will take me home until I'm 95 years old. I don't know. But I'm always going to live with the idea that whatever I've got to accomplish for God or God wants me to accomplish is my time is short to do it. I'm closer now at the end of my life than at the beginning of my salvation. And the time's getting shorter. And so I don't have a lot of time to do what I'm going to do. And I, I tell people this. This is our generation. This is our time. I didn't live in the days of the Apostle Paul. I live now. This is, this is the community that God's put you in. This is the world he wants you to reach. He saved your heart, your soul. So now he wants you to be faithful right now in this generation because there's going to come a time when you won't be here. The time will be over for you and he'll raise up somebody else and that'll be their generation. That'll be their time. But this is our time. If we're going to win our neighbor, you better do it now. You're going to tithe, you better do it now. You're going to give, you better do it now. You're going to support missions, you better do it now. You're going to sing in a choir, you better sing now because the time is short. And all through the Bible, he talks about the brevity of life. And every pastor will stand up from week to week and talk about somebody that's just passed on that used to be in our congregation, and now the time's over for them. 
Don't always think you can put off the things of God when he speaks to you as the master, and then you can sit there and say, you know, and get distracted, and then find out that the time is short. I understand, listen to me, I understand that it takes discipline, daily discipline to be faithful, uh, daily discipline to serve the Lord, daily discipline to be where God would have you to be. But, but Vance Havner said this one time, that the pain of daily discipline will never be as severe as the pain of regret. And so if you don't discipline yourself to go ahead and say, hey, I'm gonna be God's servant, I'm gonna be faithful, and I'm gonna do what I've gotta do now while it's my time, my time. You shouldn't sit in a pew and warm a pew. You should be a contributor, a servant, somebody that's come to say, I wanna to help to build God's church and to do it through the life of those, and if you're married, to do it together. I, I'm so thankful I've got a wife that serves the Lord with me. Together we serve the Lord. It's a joy to pray together, to, to travel together, to go to church together, to read the Bible, to, to serve the Lord, to be able to witness together, to do the things that God wants us to do. I, I'm glad I'm not as distracted as others who don't have that opportunity. So let's just say this tonight. Is there anything distracting you from serving the Lord? What is it that's distracting you from reading your Bible? What distracts you from doing that? From coming to every church service? What distracts you? It, what distracts you from being able to be faithful? There has to be something. Is it a relationship? Is it a time of loss or sorrow or weeping? Is it a time of buying and purchasing? What is it? that be, has become a distraction. And Paul said this, he said, this I'm speaking for your profit. In other words, if you'll listen to what I've got to say and stay focused on the things of the Lord and be faithful, it'll be profitable for you, much more profitable for you. And I'm not trying to cast a snare upon you. I'm just trying to get you to attend upon the Lord without distraction. Obviously, it was a big problem in the church of Corinth. Many were getting distracted by all these things. And they call Paul up and write to him and say, what do we do? And Paul said, hey, just stay right where you're at. Focus on the Lord. Be faithful. Do it while you have the opportunity to do it because the time's coming when you're not going to be able to do it. You're not going to be able to give. You're not going to be able to be a soul winner. You want to reach that neighbor? You better do it now. You want, you want to serve the Lord? You better do it now. The time is short. Why would he say that? in the context of being distracted. Because sometimes we can let distractions take us out of church and away from the things of the Lord for a lot longer than we think. And the next thing you know, now it's too late to serve the Lord. And then we're gonna have some big regrets. Can I say this and I'll close. One second after anyone in this room, including myself, one split second when you leave this world and you're standing as a Christian looking at the Lord you're gonna be saying this, I wish now I had served. I wish now I had gone and give. I wish now I'd been more faithful. I wish now I'd encouraged my wife. I wish now I'd encouraged my husband. I wish I hadn't bought that thing and got me distracted from serving God. Oh God, it's too late to do it now. One second, you're gonna leave this world, be absent from the body, present with the Lord. And everything this man preaches, you're gonna see as a reality from this book. Then you're gonna stand there and say, hey, can't do it now. It's too late. It's over. I'm going to ask you to bow your heads with me. Father, I just want us to see the importance 
whether it's here at Moses Lake or Cornerstone Baptist Church in Phoenix or wherever we are in this world as Christians, is that we have this opportunity right now to do something to impact our city and souls, to help our church. And Lord, so many Christians, uh, so many churches could do so much more if so many Christians sitting in the church were not letting things become a distraction to them. And I pray that if maybe something I've said tonight and spoken to the hearts of someone here, that they would just pray, maybe even right where they're standing, and just simply say, Lord, would you help me to apply these three basic principles to my life so that I can give full attention to the things of the Lord in my life? Thank you so much for listening to this message. If you would like further information about our church, please visit moseslakebaptistchurch.com.